You're listening to an irreverent podcast. Visit Irreverent FM for more content from my friends. Hello, hello, and welcome to Bad Words, an evangelical podcast where we give toxic theology the read that it deserves by taking another look at some of the books that have been given major influence in evangelical Christianity. I am Janice Legata, and this is a this is a this is a slight reconfiguration. Or the beginning of it, anyway. As you may or may not know, this podcast is my second podcast, my backup, my side piece. But my number one, my first and true love is God Has Not Given. This podcast was originally going to be a patron-only thing, and the only reason I ended up not sticking with that was because at the time, it was such a hassle trying to figure out how to make it work for all my supporters, because not everybody gives through Patreon. So in the end, I just said, forget it, the world can have it. Well, the world can have most of it, but there are parts of this podcast that are just for patrons, and moving forward, I will be and have already started scaling back on the public side. Because I get it. Nobody asked for this podcast, and nobody cares. We are all trying to survive late-stage capitalism, but this podcast takes a lot, a lot of time and energy, and I just don't have it for free. So I'm basically taking the rest of June off, and then in July, seventh month, we'll be back with the seventh chapter and back on schedule. One week of Wild at Heart. One week of captivating, and then one week of wild and captivating commentary and conversation for patrons only. So no more commentary for the public. Just the conversations, which are amazing and more than enough. And you might be thinking, yeah, we know you already said that. But it's going to include old episodes too. So I will be going back over these next few weeks and taking my commentary out for all of the public episodes of this season. So what does that mean for you? very possibly nothing at all. If you're good with just the conversations, which again are amazing and more than enough, you're good. But if you want more commentary, more content, more interaction, you're going to have to financially support me a little bit. And I am resisting every urge I feel to apologize for that because you know what? I'm worth it. So that's what's up. And now, without further ado, let's get into this conversation about being halfway through losing the plots to both manhood and womanhood with this week's Bad Book Club member and very good patron. My name is Michelle. My pronouns are she, her. And if I could choose one word to describe both books so far, trash, i.e. garbage, i.e. burn it down. That's more than one word, but... That is the word. Trash. Garbage. Yes. <laughs> Wish I could disagree, but that, that pretty much sums it up. So prior to the podcast, what was your knowledge of and or experience with Wild at Heart and Captivating? Yeah. So I went to an evangelical Christian university and the Eldridges were pretty much royalty around that place. We heard them speak multiple times at chapels and different events. And like we were talking about before we went live, Janice, I don't understand how I couldn't see the things that I see now and how we just ate this stuff up. Like you said multiple times and many of your guests have said on the show, we just ate this stuff up. We did not see how awful it is. (laughs) So, so yes, that was my, those were my experiences with Eldridge's books. Yeah, I'm trying to, and it's so hard to get back into that mindset. Most of the guests so far have definitely read the books before, but I'm trying to think of the percentage because a lot of us also don't necessarily remember getting to the end. I feel like a lot of people definitely started the books, and some diehards just loved the Eldridges and did finish, but I feel like, especially Wild at Heart, 
a lot of people mm-hmm. kind of petered out somewhere in the middle. I think captivating, I mean, women are just more prone to finish <laughs> reading Christian books. I mean, honestly, I think both books ultimately are for women, either wives mm-hmm. buying it for their husbands or wives buying it to understand their husbands. That's what's wild to me is I think I know so many women who read Well at Heart. Mm-hmm. I haven't done an official survey of any kind, but I can guess how it would turn out that very few men read Captivating. So it's just very, it's quite interesting in those evangelical spaces, how we are, how women are often blamed for, you know, like you said, these books hate women, they hate, they hate women. women. And so we're the ones reading both. It's quite interesting. Yeah. And it's also interesting how John and Wild at Heart specifically blames the feminization right. of yeah. the church. And I'm like, I don't understand how you get there. How is this math working? <laughs> because women are not in charge. We're not. Like, what more do men need? It's like, you're already the primary speakers. You're already the primary leaders. You have all the power, but somehow we've feminized the church. Somehow we we did it. How? Don't ask how, Janice. Don't ask how. It's Eve. It's Eve. Just, it's, she did it. It's her fault. And we are all born into Eve. That's just, it's how it is. Don't ask why. Don't ask how. Yeah, and I guess that's the answer to how did we not <laughs> see this? Yeah. And so much of it, so much of it depends on I think the preconditioning because I just can't see somebody without a lot of evangelical teaching, a lot of indoctrination already like just picking up these books and being like, "Oh, this makes sense. You already have to believe in mm-hmm. Adam and Eve. You already have to believe in <laughs> original sin you already have to believe that yeah i need a savior and that the world is bad and it needs to be better and here's and christianity has the answers so oh here's a book and it's saying things that i believe already and it's using them to explain this new thing i need to believe (laughs) just a different way to believe it in all of the movies that help re-emphasize how true it has to be. It's true because Braveheart. It's true because what's the one? Legends of the Fall. Mm-hmm. Hello. These movies wouldn't have been made if it weren't true. So <laughs> take it. It's Eve's fault. They all tell us. They all lead back to that one truth. We're in need of a savior because of Eve. Because of Eve. <laughs> Poor Eve. <Because> <laughs> She's just for Eve. She really did get a raw deal. And Adam is just standing over there, just no responsibility, no, no. <laughs> nothing, nothing but leadership. Nothing <laughs> but leadership. Nothing but leadership. <laughs> nothing. I don't know if I've ever told you this, but my, I remember deconstruction is interesting and the whole kind of untangling our faith. A lot of people ask me, when did it start? Of course, we know the trifecta of Trump, COVID, and the response to unarmed black men being murdered. That's really the trifecta of deconstruction. But a lot of us had things started, things happened that kind of piqued our concern a lot earlier. But my niece one time, I want to say this was probably like 2012, 2013, she was sitting in front of a video game, playing a video game. And I heard her saying as she was trying to pick the person, the little character that she was going to be, she would say, no, 
she doesn't have respect for herself. Nope, she doesn't respect herself. And I was like, hey, what do you mean? What does that mean? And she's like, look at the clothes she has on. She doesn't respect herself. And I thought, oh my God, where did that even come from? How, what got that in your head? Because it's not, my family wouldn't say those things to her. So, I mean, it's just kind of the idea. She was probably seven or eight trying to choose a dang video game character saying that the girl doesn't respect herself because she's in a, like a maybe halter top and tight pants or something. And so we had a little conversation about how it's just a video game and that's not something that we're going to say. We kind of, it was a great teachable moment, but again, that's 2012, 2013 when I was still steeped in this evangelical culture that, that I knew that was wrong, that a seven-year-old would have that thought about what somebody's wearing Mm -hmm. anyway. So it's just crazy how, like you said, we're ingrained in it from birth when we are, when we grow up in these spaces, we're taught things that are definitely not biblical even if they were biblical, we know there there's problems, but still just things that culture puts on top of the theology and it's pro we're programmed at such a young age. And like stuff like that just breaks my heart because I'm like, oh, it's mm-hmm. so, like you said, it's so ingrained and it just feels mm-hmm. like so much of this is like this uphill battle. It's like, oh, we're mm-hmm. trying to undo all of these things that we didn't <laughs> even know were being done. Yeah. yeah, but here we are. So we do win the uphill battle. Yeah. More more than they would like us to. We do <laughs> figure it out. And I don't know if that's, I mean, they would say backsliding, I guess. So we are tump- tumbling down <laughs> yeah. the hill. But Right. Not much. Like, yeah. <laughs> right. That's why we're, we think we're going fast, but it's really because we're just, the momentum <laughs> of rolling down. Just the ball of wheat or snow or whatever just keeps wrapping around us, making us faster down the hill. <laughs> so crazy. <laughs> maybe we hit the mountaintop john and we're going back down the other way where we need to go on the other side of this hot mess yeah so yeah because honestly it's not that high of a climb like these (laughs) so true oh my goodness (laughs) it's like oh this is what they mean when they say the bar the bar is in hell yeah so we were climbing up out of hell and now we're Mm. tumbling down into the real world i guess I guess. I think it's interesting when you started with chapter one and you would say things like, okay, I know how bad this is going to get. So I can't give this a one out of 10. I'm going to give it a 1.6 or whatever. And I thought, no, Janice, they all deserve ones. But then I'm like, you're right. Chapter four and chapter five said, hold my beer. Like, whoa, five, four, they both were awful. Gosh, it's just... And I think it was so poignant that you mentioned that here we are in these chapters hearing for the first time a person of color, Mm -hmm. someone from another nation being mentioned, and it's in the backdrop of this, these abusive situations, but not once do we hear about the American, the abuses in the American society, specifically the American church, but not, but still we hear of these atrocities and different parts of the world again and that's when we hear about people of color and it's just so blatant again how did we not see it looking at it now and it's like oh there's so much indoctrination but there's so many angles that it comes from and so Mm -hmm. at the same time we're all growing up also with huge missionary culture right and this Mm -hmm. idea of oh we got to go save these other nations and Mm -hmm. save these other people and 90% of the time, it's brown folks. It's some brown nation. So, yeah, to read those books in the early 2000s, just like, oh, yeah, okay, that's how we think of other people. Like, they 
need help. And mm. we're not specifically thinking about the fact that, oh, these are all others. These are all brown people. Like, we're just thinking just good old, nice nationalistic, just nationalist <laughs> then. It's just, oh, America, we're the best. And so, of course, we would be exporting this theology, exporting this help. But yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I did missions, quote unquote missions growing up and throughout college every summer, some spring breaks. We even had worship missions where we had worship teams that were going around and sometimes we'd partner with the other mission groups and go to the same location, sometimes not. It's just all bad. (laughs) Oh, Oh, it's just bad on top of bad. It's interesting. I know quite a few people who spent a lot of time doing missions work. I hate even saying it that way, but that's what we called it. Who actually have deconstructed or began to kind of untangle things because they were exposed to other people and other worldviews. Specifically, I have some friends who were exposed to Arab nations and just understanding the dynamics of, I think someone told me that they, a Pakistani uh, woman said, do you know why you're a Christian? Because you were born in the U.S. I'm a Muslim because I was born here. And we want to say, no, Jesus would have got a hold of my heart no matter where I was born. Right. But no, that's the reality is that we're, it's, we are born into those things and our worldviews are completely shaped by where we're born. And so to see people of other faith traditions so devout in their faith, that can just change the way you think about things, you know, no matter how indoctrinated you were, right? So I've definitely gotten some, have some friends who have gone through that completely on the other side of the world because they see how others live and how others love and think there's no way that a good God could send these wonderful people to hell. No, that's a really good thought. And it makes me think of how small John's worldview is. I'm like, you were a Southern California boy, so you grew up in the California suburbs, mm-hmm. same as me. <laughs> and then mm. your summers, you would go visit your grandpa on his ranch. Right. And like, this is like the extent of your travel. These are the <laughs> two worlds that you know. Right. So you're going from white suburb to white ranch. And nothing wrong with any of that. But you should not be writing a book for all men and what manhood means. Like, just based on that. And you're not, in the first few chapters, especially he's raging against Western expansion. What has Western expansion done to the man? And again, at (laughs) no point... Are you acknowledging what Western expansion did to other cultures? Yeah. And you're not acknowledging who did Westward expansion. Who are you mad at here? Because (laughs) this was your forefathers. These were, all of this was done on your behalf, John. Like the life that you lead, the place Mm -hmm. that you hold in society, the status you were born into came from all of this. This was their dream for you to be here now in the place that you are and you're so mad about it and you're just so (sighs) mad like mad at the world and just these fantasies that he has and talking to his boys and wanting machine guns and even right there you just want a battle to fight but it's like Mm -hmm. who were you fighting why is it does it even matter you just want to find a fight to find a fight yeah 
They just want a battle. Doesn't really matter who it is, who, they, who the opponent is. Yeah, I love what you say almost in every episode. This is not, this did not happen in <laughs> these stories. Like, no, this did not. He's like, I promise I am not lying. <laughs> this did, like, I'm being serious. What does he say? I'm telling, I'm the, telling truth. the truth. No, you're not. You, you absolutely are not, actually. That's why you said it. You want to make sure you got to tell yourself. Right. Sometimes I'm like, dude, you were, you say this all the time. He's an artist. He was in theater. Like, you should be writing. These are good. These are cool stories, actually, John. Maybe they could be plays. Like, Spills off of that. Yeah. I wouldn't watch it. They're toxic, but <laughs> at least you would have a, it would be, it would just be better writing overall if it was a play that you were writing, not a book. Right. Because your thoughts are all over the place. They're all over the place. But the problem, if it was a play, if it was anything fictional, then people oh. could critique that and they could say, this is bad fiction. <laughs> if, if this is fact, if this is just the way it is, the way it is then who can say anything about that that's fair that makes sense that's why he went that way i guess these books are bad fiction these are works of fiction and i'm i'm just fascinated i don't understand how they got the platforms that they did i yeah because the more i read i'm like (laughs) there's not being biblical like like debate of satan john bevere that's not biblical but you're using a lot of scripture and you're twisting them and you're putting them together and you're doing things to try to make it seem biblical. Mm-hmm. So that's like not biblical, but this is not biblical in a whole different way. We're like, you're barely mentioning the Bible. Like it, right. <laughs> it's barely in here. It's so weird. How many movies he talks about? I, it's weird. I, again, maybe because he's an artist, that's what he knows. Maybe he probably has seen more movies than read scriptures. <laughs> but I, I, yeah, it's weird. It, it, I think, that, and I love it again, that you and my guests always mention that. But where is the Bible, John? Where is the scripture to back up this random thought you had that doesn't even, it's not even cohesive with the last thought you had, but Eve. That's, I just have to go back to that. It's her fault. It's her fault. I can't understand because mm-hmm. I'm a woman. <laughs> I just don't understand. <laughs> Whatever, John, go away. <laughs> and I think it's interesting. You said too, like, how did these books get platformed? How did their voices get platformed? So you said you were kind of going back and reading some of their story. I honestly can't recall how they got connected and what, who were they connected to? We know it's a whole network, but you know what I mean? How are they platformed at the beginning? The beginning, you know? I actually don't because maybe I'll go read more now. Like I only went just to read just enough to kind of confirm that they are real people and kind of where they live and <laughs> where they're situated. But I was like, I don't want yeah. to know too much about them because I don't want to be reading things into it as much as I dislike them and pick at them and make fun of them. I don't, I want it to be based on just what I know from the book. Like I don't want sure. to accidentally be too mean by pulling in like real life things that I know but I would assume like if I'm making up their story now and how they got platformed I'm like just just that they're in Colorado and focus on the family is there and it's like that I think you just had to wander into the right room at some point probably just meet the right person and you're off and running like I think they just got caught up in the perfect storm just the perfect slipstream and went with it 
Yeah, it's definitely an epicenter of Christian trash. <laughs> I mean, that's where a new life is and Ted Haggard used to be there. I'm sure they were buds. You know, like just that it was all that same timing that really like late nineties, early two thousands. Mm-hmm. So much of that kind of content was coming out so of that region. So you're right. It's probably, they all knew each other. They were white Christian men. <laughs> of course they did. In Colorado Springs. Of course they knew each other mm-hmm. in Colorado. Yeah. 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 All trying to save the world. So yeah, I'll save the world. Yeah. Oh my goodness. <laughs> but yeah, the gospel of these books is definitely movies. <laughs> like I think John has this picture in his head of what kind of man he wants to be. To be. Because <laughs> he's not right. <laughs> He wishes, like you always said, like, it's just the vibes you're given throughout the whole book, John. You think you're hiding it, bud, but we see you. We see you. We. And sometimes, like, I feel bad because I don't talk about it as much on the public podcast because there's nothing wrong with being gay. There's nothing wrong. I'm all for it. I support it. I wish John Eldridge had grown up in a way, in a place, in a time that supported it. So he could, yeah, yeah, Yeah. be himself. I also don't want to judge anyone's sexuality and don't, yeah. Like, I don't want to make fun of him for it, but at the same time, the undertones are here in some of it. I'm like, it's just so... (laughs) It's tricky because... Yeah, you want, because you're coming from the backgrounds and the traditions where we come from, we know how people in the queer community are treated. We know friends who had to stay closeted for so long because they knew that their institution said, you cannot be yourself and be a Christian, choose one or the other. And if you're Christian, cool, you're welcome here. If you're not, bye, you know, and I mean, I... So we know that is the, is the baseline. And so it's difficult not to try to poke fun of that for the sake of our own, just because it's our trauma and our friend's trauma that we are remembering. Like, it's difficult. But at the same time, like you said, you don't want to make a joke of it because he's still, if he truly is struggling with, with accepting himself in the light of his own indoctrination. Right. That sucks. That's hard. And it, I don't want to feel bad for John because he's awful. But I do feel bad for that. Thinking the only way he can express himself is through these books and try to try to pretend like this is who he is. That this is who to, he is. And it's, like, and it's not. But then at a certain point, John, you have to take responsibility for what you're putting out in the world. And yeah. you are doing, you're doing harm. These books are harmful. Mm-hmm. Like, they're not just ha-ha, funny, bad. Mm-hmm. Like, they are actually bad and actually dangerous if mm-hmm. people take this stuff to heart. And so, yeah, so, like, you have to be, you have to be responsible. But then I'm trying to, I'm trying to see you as a character and trying to mm-hmm. keep some empathy for you. So mm-hmm. even, yeah, you hash, hashtag undertones. It's like, ah, uh, also, I get it, man. I, it's, yeah, and it's sad. 
and it's also so so ridiculous because sometimes this is just so blatant and this is like it's like a little kid trying to hide by covering their eyes and it's like we can see you right <laughs> it's, it's, just because you can't see us right. doesn't mean we can't see you john I know. Oh, <laughs> so it's, it's cute bad. it's cute that you're trying but it's yeah. just slipping out man like just these mm. things that you're saying the way that you're saying it and then I think I would be maybe less less inclined to to point it out and maybe poke fun of it if he didn't so blatantly hate women like if he wasn't so (laughs) mad at women and I think it is just this misplaced rage because women get to do and be some of what it is that you wish you could do and be and you're so mad that you have to like like denigrate it and you have to make women feel bad for being women like mm. so yeah so I'm like I feel bad for you buddy but at the same time you are you are an enemy you are not a friend both things can be true at once my dear <laughs> we can hate you but also really feel sorry for you because we understand that you were indoctrinated in these systems too. And you're angry because you can't be yourself. Yeah. Yeah. It's just all bad. It's a... I think it's funny how you say time and time again, like this could have been a journal entry. You should have taken this to therapy. This was not meant for the world. Know the difference between different types of literature. <laughs> this was supposed to be journal. It's not but... but it's a very, it's a very man thing to do. I think a very old school man, old school white man thing to do to realize that you have trauma, to realize you have issues. And instead of going to therapy, he becomes a counselor. Like he goes to school oh. to study counseling and works as a counselor for a, for a little bit. But I'm like, you should have gone to counseling, my dude. There's, yeah. Put that time, that energy, those years into getting yourself figured out. But instead he said, oh, I think something's wrong here. So I'm going to figure out how to fix it and I'm going to tell other people how to be. And I, I think also it's a, it's that same kind of patriarchal white male ideology that, Hey, if I'm struggling with this, it's everyone's story. Like that's just that the audacity to think that because you are dealing with this in this way, that's the way everyone, you, the, your solution is everyone's solution, especially every man first, then every woman mm-hmm. who came second. Once we realized the popularity of the book, we can reframe this for women. <laughs> but like all of their, for all of John's, this is how women are and this is how men are. And it's like, if you take it, if you just take it in the sentence where he says it, you're like, okay, fine, whatever. But then I'm like, man, you contradict yourself all the time because you talk so about true. how men don't communicate and men don't talk to each other and men don't talk about these things. And then two pages later, so me and Peter, we're hanging out and we were having these for like five, for like hours. five hours and like the, all these conversations where they end with these men in tears so you guys are talking deep and meaningful things and it's ending up in tears all the time or these guys are saying these profound things to you first this isn't happening nobody's saying this to you but you just said men don't do this and if all of these men are having all of these deep revelations about oh i don't I just don't feel like a man, John. The storm, the storm is raging within me, and I can't, cannot calm this ocean. The worthy, you 
Jesus, John, nobody said that. A 22-year-old young guy did not say those words. Come on. That he did, why did you have to just lie? Like, this is, you could have lied in a way that we would have believed you, John. <laughs> but when you go overboard, you just went one too far, bud. One too far. Yeah. We don't believe Yeah. No one said No one said that. Now, that we were watching Braveheart. And then we had a 30-minute conversation afterwards. And then it touched our feelings because we felt so close to Mel. Maybe we'd believe you. Right. Maybe. Just be real, John. Just be real. <laughs> Just be real. But you're making up these scenarios that you have said are not possible. It's so weird. Because so men we don't do this. But Janice... The Bible contradicts itself all the way through. He's just parroting the auth his favorite authors. No, no. Author. Sorry, there's one author, God. But yes. <laughs> like, this is no, his favorite this author is Robert Bly. Who that is Robert Bly. <laughs> I love when you say that too. Like we're supposed to know who this person is. You're not talking about, you didn't mention John DeVere. Like if you said John DeVere, okay, we know. Right, yeah. But you, who's Robert Bly? It's Robert Bly. You know, now you and the woman. There was a woman in the last chapter, too. Just some, I think it was kept. Just some random woman. Just out of nowhere. Oh, and in her book, blah, blah. What are these what? things? Who is this? Who is this? Find <laughs> her importance. Maybe she was more important in 2002, but you did rewrite the book, John. So maybe you can explain for those of us who weren't around or don't remember her. Maybe she, had, she was a one-hit wonder or something. <laughs> so weird I think it's so funny too when you point out or interesting when you point out the differences between the books that you know you're like in my mind he got in trouble for quoting this song and so someone made him pluck out these words before they sued him and yeah definitely yeah because it was not what was it was it what was it it was Bruce Springsteen I thought yeah Secret Garden yeah yeah you're so lazy because you took out, you just took out the lyrics, but then you're still going to reference the song. And in his song, <laughs> Secret Garden, it, you talks, can go look at it talks about blah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, that's not what this song is about 100%. at all. And you don't get to give people extra homework. Now we got to go listen to this song from the early 2000s to try to figure out what... God says about what this is not mm. what did you run out of movies John so now you got to steal from Bruce like come on <laughs> I mean he's stealing from people all the time like there will be whole just passages of just bad po like to me I'm like this is I don't want to read this it's bad enough <laughs> I have to read your bad words John but now you're giving me your favorite poets and they suck these poems suck yeah. Well, and we were talking about before we jumped, before we went live, just how bad the writing is. Not just how bad, the, how toxic the theology is, but how poor the writing is. And we were like, who's editing this? And, uh, the Holy Spirit? John's Holy Spirit? Yeah. <laughs> the Holy Spirit gave it to him. Nobody's editing it. Just like the pen to the Bible. Like it is, doesn't need any explaining or editing, except for John's except explanation. For John's. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, and he, it's the confidence I wish we all had. Because uh, there's a part where he talks about, I am a gifted communicator and I have a way with my words. And I'm like, but you're, and I don't even want to say that you're not. John, you might be. I'm annoyed with you. This is 
better writing than John Bevere, just in that you are trying to add flares here, but it's bad subject matter. It's bad. This is Mad Libs. You are just filling in the blanks trying to make things work. So it's bad fill in the blanks. And you're... And because none of this is necessary, it's all a waste of time and words. This is all just energy that could have been better spent somewhere else. And it's so wild, too, to think they've created Bible studies and sermons that go along with it and all these resources off of this ideology. And then it's had staying power. Who decided this is the one that was sticking around? Because I honestly can't think of many books that have had this kind of impact, or it's both books, right, together, having it. It shouldn't have been written in the first place. Why in the world are there new editions? Right. <laughs> it shouldn't be. Right. And I just think of many books that have, like I said, been around for 20 years that have continued to have the impact and the staying power. It's wild. Yeah. But then I'm like, I, I guess it makes sense because the theology hasn't changed. It hasn't progressed. You're True. still trying to get back to... 1954 like you're still you still think that is the ideal and so it's terrifying but this book is still out there and he's still doing wild at heart camps and like men are still just discovering this and are still serious about this some man just discovered it this summer and is going to go to one of his conferences and do his field manual and read his studies And then we wonder, question why the Mark Driscolls of the world can continue to be platformed. It shouldn't confuse us. (laughs) But I mean, it's still awful and terrifying, horrible, all those things, but it doesn't even surprise me anymore. Have you watched the Shiny Happy People documentary? And I think about just how the staying power of the IDLP, even so far after Bill Gothard was out, was removed from his position, how his theology is still being taught, is still available years and years later. It's just wild. I mean, Shout to the Lord is probably still in the top 10 of worship songs. (laughs) (laughs) Staying power. (laughs) And then it's wild to think too. So like with the shiny, happy people and Bill Gothard, because like Bill Gothard is still alive. He's still out there. And so it's weird to think about, like I think about him, I think about Brian Houston and how these people build empires, empires, these random theologies. And then they get to a certain point where it basically overtakes them. So then you can be Bill Gothard and you've created this whole thing and you've ruined a lot of lives and you've done a lot of damage. And then they just remove you, but your theology is still there. It's still it's working. Same with like Brian Houston. You got this empire, but then it got, it's at, at some point, it wasn't yours anymore. And then you become too much of a liability. And they said, nope, <laughs> we got to move you. But Hillsong is still there. It's still operating. And it's just weird that, it's like, how does this world work? Because you have somebody, we don't know why you ended up being the thing. We no. don't know, but you did. There are a lot of mediocre white men in the world. Why you, Bill? Why you? <laughs> why you? Why then? Why I, this? Especially like with Bill yeah. Goff. It doesn't even make sense. You're not married. You don't have kids. Oh, no. oh, absolutely. How did you become the expert on these things? And they all say we never questioned it. We didn't even question it. It was just the indoctrination. Right. Yeah. And it's the same with like John Eldred. How did you 
become the poster man for men. Like for what man it is supposed to be. Because I didn't even, I had seen his books. It wasn't until I'm doing a little bit of my little bit of research. I like saw a picture of him and I was like, I promise you, if I were to put a picture of him and just three other random dudes and ask people, which one of these do you think is John Eldridge? I would never have picked him. Just from the, just the image I had in my mind, who must this guy be? Yeah. I, you? How? And that's not a slight against wispy men. Like, <laughs> Oh, your wood choices are the best. It's yes. like you, you are as God made you. And that's wonderful. And that's beautiful. And I wish you believed that. I wish you knew that because we wouldn't be here. But you are, you're probably, we're probably the same height, the same size. <laughs> like we're probably. But for real though, his definition of manhood, like you said over and over, he just, he's projecting. He's projecting. He's Hashtag undertones. Like, we get it, John. You're angry at women. You're angry at all men because you, all the, like, manly men. Manly men. men. Yeah. You're kind of angry at them, but you can't, you can't say that you're angry at them. You're angry at them because you want to be them. So you got to be angry at the women who get to be with them or the women who created them. Right. Yeah. Men in general. So weird. It's like you've said over and over too. It just should have been a journal entry, John. Should have been journals. Yeah. And yeah, but it wasn't. And you wrote this book and then it took off. And I don't know Mm -hmm. why other than I wonder if, because I feel like deconstruction happens. It's happening all the time. People are deconstructing Mm -hmm. all the time. But I feel like there are these waves when it's like, oh, a lot of people are, a lot of people are doing this right now. Mm -hmm. And I feel like there must have been a wave and they must have needed something to like quiet the people down. Or it's like, so we're going to throw these books at the men, but actually at the women. Because again, the wives are going to read this. Mm -hmm. The girlfriends are going to read this. And even if the men never read it, the women will understand. Oh, no, my man is awful, but he's supposed to be like... (laughs) He's not supposed to want to talk to me. I'm supposed to be afraid of him. He's supposed to be dangerous. He's, yeah. So I think that book, whatever was going on at the time, it was just like, oh, this is good medicine for this right now. I sometimes find myself doing these deep dives where I'll say, okay, what was happening, like you said, at the same time? When did Mark Driscoll come on scene? How did all of those things align? This, even this, that whole the idea of the smoking hot wife and mm-hmm. just that whole dynamic. I mean, I honestly hadn't heard the smoking hot wife thing until probably maybe like 2013 in a church that I was going to that was an SBC church. So I grew up more non-denominational, charismatic. That's how I grew up. And then I went to an SBC church for about 12 years. So I had been exposed to female pastors and I mean, we know, but not really. They're pastors because their husbands are pastors, but they've got to speak on stage. They got to do sermons. They, not just for the women, they were called pastor, not director or coordinator. And so I didn't know that was such 
a nor and that was actually a more rare thing in evangelical culture what i experienced i feel like and then going to the sbc and seeing that even women who were on stage or had titles they could not be pastors they had to be directors or coordinators or whatever and there are even some worship pastors within that specific multi-campus church that I went to that didn't allow women to sing more than one song in a service, to lead more than one song in a service. And or some that were like, no, women are there for BGVs only. Or on, but on Mother's Day, of course. Right, you right. <laughs> but, or with the kids, of course. And then, but this, I heard a youth pastor one time say, smoke a not wife, and I lost my mind and went to the pastor. And he was like, my child, you're overreacting. Come on. I'm like, no. But I had not heard that was something that was just normal vocabulary from pastors' mouths. And it blew my mind. So I started talking to people about it. And they were like, oh, yeah. Everybody says that. I'm like, What? That's so degrading. So like I said, there were moments of me questioning and detangling and all of that, even in the early 2010s. But I think I just let it be a thought until the trifecta blew up. <laughs> How are things are and just like, what is happening to the world? What is happening to Christendom? But yeah, it would be interesting though, to kind of lay those things out and say, when did all these people come on scene? When, what was Mark Driscoll doing at that time? And did that just create this perfect storm for him to take, come in and have this type of theology and take hold too? Because they have, like you said, those camps where, what are they doing? Barbecue, <laughs> doing pups, I don't know, fishing, I don't know, capture the flag. Like, what are they doing? When they're <laughs> Probably all shirtless. Just of course they are. Somebody's got blue bandanas. Someone's got red bandanas. I don't know. But they're out there. They're, they got boar paint, probably. I mean, just who knows? They're, I eat plant-based. I know plenty of men who eat plant-based. I feel so bad for those guys who had to fast during the camp retreat thing. <laughs> that Because they could tell them that they eat plant-based. Right. Because then they wouldn't be welcome at the men's retreat. So they're fasting for God. So I don't know. I'm making this up like John. I learned from the best. <laughs> But you know what I mean? Like, I love that there are content creators who say things like, this is what girls retreats were like, and we had to sew and do crafts. And like, I want to be out there. I want to go out and be playing the mud or whatever the guys are doing. Why? I think I still just really struggle in general with these binary boxes yeah. that we, it's 2023, man. Why are we putting people in these boxes? I think I have, I'm, I'm an ally of the queer community, but I do not, I have not had those lived experiences. So I cannot imagine the nuance and even how marginalized they felt in Christian spaces. I just can't begin to. I love to listen and learn, but I'll never say that I understand. I do think, though, when we put little boys and little girls in these boxes and we say, this is what boys like, this is what girls like, that creates confusion from the beginning. So whether or not children identify as LGBTQ from that age, they're going to be confused when we say that Tommy can't play with Barbie dolls or baby dolls or can't play kitchen. Like maybe they just were watching mom or dad or grandma or whoever in the kitchen and they just want to have a kitchen and be like their caretaker. It has nothing to do with feminine qualities. And I just, right. I get so angry when I hear people putting children in these boxes and then no wonder we're growing up with so much confusion, understanding who we are, even if we are not even if we don't identify as queer. We're I am sporty. I, I don't like wearing a lot of makeup. I like getting dressed up and being cute for galas and events, but I also really love to just be in sweats and a t-shirt all the time. Christians would say sometimes, a lot of evangelical Christians would then put 
someone who was quote unquote like a tomboy in a box. And I just, I think we do so much damage to people. We put people in these boxes, you know, these binaries, because it's not how life is. It's just our culture right. putting things on. So I don't know why I went off on that rant, but no, it's just, it's, that, that was good. And it's making me think about, what was it? I want to say, I can almost see it on the page. I want to say it was in chapter five. It was four or five, but where John just had this little part where he's talking about things, you know, cause his whole thing is masculinity has to be bestowed. So like you have to, only another man can give you your masculinity. And then he's like listening to things like working on a car and going fishing and like these things that are part of like these rites of passage of manhood. And I was like, is that, so if, if a man taught you how to sew, is that now a masculine thing? But then I was like, oh, I think he's, he's obviously listening things that he knows how to do. So these are the masculine traits. And of course mm-hmm. he would be upset if a woman knows how to do them too. Because that's going to strip away from his masculinity. Like, if he knows how to fish, but women also know how to fish. And some women also like fishing. And, like, a woman can teach you how to fish. Like, you don't need, it doesn't have to be a man. But I think that would be so upsetting to him. He has to say, no, this is for boys. These things are for girls. And this has to be for boys because I like it. And I know how to do it. And if a woman can do it too, well, now that's, now it's feminine. And now she ruined it. So it's just like, he's just so, so angry all the time because these things, the binary, the places where he fits and where he feels like, okay, I can safely check this off as masculine. As soon as a woman can do it, she ruined it because now she's made it feminine. And now I'm back in the feminine box where I don't want to be and didn't want to be. But it's like, John, there's no, it's fine. It's okay. John, did a woman fix your car in the year 1999? And this is, that was like the cherry on top of the cake that made you just say, I hate women. Why can she fix my car better than I can? And why did I have to pay her to do it? Or maybe it was Stacy. Maybe she's good at car. Like, I'm not. My sister is. And that's what's funny to me is I think, I call my sister every time I have an issue with the car. I'm like, what is it doing? What's this? And she's, I don't know. It's just crazy. To think that anything, like you said, is, it's, there are no things that are male and female. I think about friends can be a little bit problematic now, like some going back and watching it, but there was an episode when I don't even remember what it was, but they're like, women can't do that. And then, and then they're saying, why can't women do that? Women can do anything that men can do. And they're like, no, that's not true. They said, name one thing that a woman, that a man can do that a woman can't do. And I think it's Joey who's like, or maybe it was Ross, penis model. <laughs> it's like, like, I don't know. It's just funny because it's just they're really trying to think like women can do anything. Why we do, why are we why do we have these boxes? And like I said, I'll give a shout out to my sister all day long for coming and fixing my car and saving me money. But John is just angry that he can't fix his own car. Right. And like I think about my favorite chef is this white man, straight man. And he's, his food is delicious. Mm-hmm. No one ever talks about Why is it that he's at a really classy restaurant? So we don't talk about him cooking. It's literally the same thing. Right. It's a, much, much better than me. But it's it, somehow that's okay. You know, it, it's still a feminine. Anyway, we can go round and round on these things, but it is just so wild. I'm pretty sure he probably eats at restaurants where chefs are male. Absolutely. Come on. You do. But I guess it's gotten to a weird place where it's, okay, so many men, so many of the top chefs are men. 
So like that yeah. has become a very masculine field, but it's like, it's just that disrespect to things you do in the home. So it's like, if you yeah. are a woman, then you're supposed to be cooking it out at the house. You're supposed to be in the <sighs> kitchen. But like the idea of a woman being paid or being respected yeah. for that out in the real world, now we've got an issue. And at the same time, men who just cook at home, that's like something shameful. Like that is, huh, things are a little... It's so wild, Janice. It's so true. <sighs> yeah. I mean, I've just been thinking about it a lot in terms of like with Pat Robertson dying just in the past few weeks, I was like, oh, I think if there is a heaven and if it is anything like the evangelical conception, then it has to be different heavens. Like, I'm fine with Pat Robertson being in heaven. If there is a racist, <laughs> misogynistic heaven, he can have it. He's welcome to it. Have, yeah. I never have to see him again, never have to hear from him again. And I don't care. Like, have a great experience. I don't care. But yeah. you stay over there. But I'll know hell, his heaven would be my hell. So we can't go to the same place. And so I am fine, again, with him being, oh, he can have all the things. He can have a great time. He's going to be with people like him. So have as good a time as you can. But you'll be over there. And then I'll go to my heaven over here. I'll be fine. And I will never think about Pat Robertson again. Pat Robertson, though, will never know rest that would be hell for him because he would be obsessed with the idea that other people got into a different heaven and he's not there. Cause like these people could not mind their business and their life. You probably can't do it in heaven either. So you, he will be tormented wondering what we're doing, what we have over here and who's telling them what to do. Who's in charge. What do the, what do they have that we don't have? Like just the idea of, People living happily without them mm. would be hell for him. We just want to live our lives the way we want to, and they cannot bear it. Like, just the idea that someone could be different, that they might be wrong about some things, and that people would be happier without them in charge, without them on top, they can't bear it. No. So, like, John... John's hatred for women, for everybody, it's not about us. It never has been. It's like, these are, you're mad because these are the things you want to do, and you can't. And you could, but it would cost you. You would, mm-hmm. have to, you would have to be brave in a way that you're not willing, not ready to be. With the worst of the commentary that I get when people come at me, it's always white men. And it's like, no, I get it. It's because there's something about your life that is unfulfilled, that is unfinished, and it must eat you alive to see somebody who, for so many reasons, you consider less than you, and to see me just out here living my life happily, without your permission, without your restrictions, outside of your boxes, it's got to burn you up. Like, they're out here being free, and I'm not. (laughs) And I have everything and I'm at the top and I'm the boss and I can't be free, but they can. I get it. I get it. Yeah. I was just thinking we 
I, we joke about the trifecta that created this deconstruction explosion, but it really does feel like there's so many more people deconstructing in this season, like right now in the last seven, eight years, whatever. But I just think about even people who were kind of trailblazers that were so just demonized for thinking differently. Rob Bell, Carlton Pearson, some of the people who were so well respected, but then came up with new ideas that pushed up against the powers. And I, I am grateful for those trailblazers, but I also think like, what is it going to look like moving forward? Because we, we just continue to have more and more people deconstructing. We have social media, we have all these different platforms that allow us to get our voices out there and allow people to realize that they're not alone. And so then they can have spaces where they can freely think. They were, we were all for so long told that we couldn't think, we couldn't ask questions, we couldn't question anything. Even if those words weren't said out loud, that was definitely the culture. And if we asked questions, we were called heretics or whatever and pushed back on. So it's just, it'll be so interesting to see what this revolution creates. What is this, what's going to be, what's going to look like in 10 years as we continue to have people, these voices speaking up and they're grasping for the evangelical church of America is just grasping for power. They see the power that they're losing. They see the ground that they've always been taught that it's a fight. So they're going to bring in and it'll just be interesting to see how that all plays out. It's scary sometimes to think because we've seen some glimpses what happens when they lose power. So it'll just be, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Yeah. yeah. So as we finish up, yes. six, six chapters of both books halfway through, what would you give Wild at Heart? Scale from oh. one to ten. Everything is permissible. Not everything is beneficial. And it's... <laughs> Oh, that we can't just always choose one, but it is, if I could go below one, I would. I believe in negatives. I, be, I love, like, it is below a one. It is trash. Like I said before, it needs to not even just be thrown in the trash because the trash man could steal it and then he could learn this craziness. We need to burn it. Then I'm afraid of the demons that will come out of it when we burn it. Who knows what to do, but it needs to be destroyed and never, ever spoken of again. <laughs> trash one. One. And captivating? Same answer. <laughs> I think it's definitely still a one. I don't think it, it's not, it doesn't, it's made for no one. Like, <laughs> neither one, except for the powers that be, right, to continue this crazy theology. But no one should read these things unless they're doing something like this, where we are picking apart. That would be the only reason that there is value to pick it apart and prove how ridiculous it is. But, but yeah, I think. The only thing I would say about Captivating is that it is interesting to see these glimpses of Stacy's voice, which we know is like maybe 10% of the book or something, but then to see ourselves 10 years ago or however many years ago and be like, I thought that way. Mm -hmm. Why did I think that way? And how can I make sure that the women that we're raising up today in this new generation do not have those thoughts? So it's interesting to go back and look at Captivating. And I'm sure Wild at Heart too, but just as a woman for me, seeing that perspective and knowing that my brain was so brainwashed with that for so long is actually sort of helpful <laughs> to make sure that I don't perpetuate those same ideas in the women that I mentor and in my nieces and in, and in the future generation to make sure that we're not perpetuating that so it's helpful in that reason yeah but 
trash. Or not trash needs to be burned. <laughs> <laughs> Do not even throw them away. Don't give them to Goodwill. Because nope. nobody should no. That's not That's not that's Goodwill. Not, no, it's not <laughs> Don't. They don't need they they need to go away. If you can use them for art, do it. I'm all for that. Yes. But Rip them up, shred them, paper mache. Yeah, there's options. There's options, but really cool deconstruction art. <laughs> so there you go. One point one for the deconstruction art exhibits of the future. Oh, like, <laughs> it'll happen. So, any closing thoughts? Final words? Yeah, I think I think that there are just so many people creating content, people creating books that are explaining their experiences. And it can be so healing for us to, to go and to support those creators, those content creators and to learn from them. And I think it's important for us to continue to check our own biases. We can think that deconstruction, I mean, this is a journey. It's not a destination as they used to say, like the faith journey, but it's true about deconstruction too. So I think it's just, I think it's important for us to face these things that we used to consider truths because there are things listening to the podcast that I didn't even realize I still think. And I have to face those things. I have to face that shadow side of my myself that still is indoctrinated with poor with bad beliefs. So I think it's I think it's important for us to be knowledgeable of these types of books and to give thoughtful commentary on them because we can create a lot of division. But if we can help just provide people a better way. I think we're going, to, we're going to continue to move forward. And it'll be, like I said, really interesting to see 15, 20, 10, 15, 20 years down the road. What are, what is Gen Z doing? What are they creating? How are they even taking this further than we have? So it'll just be interesting. But yeah, that's what I, I guess closing thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for joining me for this chapter. Wild and captivating. I certainly hope you had a better time listening than I did reading. Bad Words is an irreverent media podcast, a Legata Scratch production, and a Goddess Not Given Side Hustle. Produced by Janice Legata and made possible by the generous support of jobly and job willing patrons like Michelle. Thank you, Michelle. If you're enjoying this season, please let the people know by leaving a rating or review. And if you'd like more info on how to become a monthly supporter and get access to bonus episodes, hit the show notes for the links. And until we meet again, take care of you and be well. I am Janice Legata, and this has been an episode of Bad Words, but here, are some good ones. Hey, it's me again. This episode marks us being halfway through these books, and by the time we start the next cycle next month, we will officially be halfway through this year. And listen, everything is awful. The world is on fire in so many ways, but if you're hearing this, it means you're still here. We're still here, and it's not for nothing. And it also doesn't have to be for something for somebody else. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, I hope you're finding ways and taking time and space to do things for you. Life is for the living, but more than that, enjoyment, pleasure, and ease are also for the living. So many of us were taught that we have to work to earn the right to experience all of that in the afterlife, but the idea of trying to make things on earth as it is in heaven isn't just for the big things, the big societal issues. It's also for you. So take care of you. Be as well as you can. And if you're a patron, I will speak to you soon. <laughs>